0: Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia, and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Adam's insomnia began the night before an important work presentation. After a really difficult night, Adam ended up calling in sick. And this planted a seed in his mind that told him that difficult nights would mean he couldn't go through with important plans. Safety behaviours such as cancelling plans or avoiding activities in order to protect his sleep helped Adam feel a bit better in the short term, but over the long term, they were preventing him from living the kind of life he wanted to live. In other words, his comfort zone became more like a prison. In this episode, Adam shares how he learned to let go of his anxiety, his anger, his fear, and his intense desire to avoid nighttime wakefulness. He also talks about the benefits of self-kindness and how he managed to separate how he slept at night from his ability to engage in things that would help him live the kind of life he wanted to live and be the kind of person he wanted to be. Today, Adam has released himself from that prison cell. He is living his life and sleeping a lot better. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. Thank you for having me it's great to have you on let's start right at the beginning like i do with every single guest um can you tell us a little bit uh, about when your sleep problems first began and what you think triggered uh, that initial sleep disruption
1: sure yeah so i probably first experienced real problems with my sleep i would say about probably two two and a half years ago um i think the trigger was i had an event where i had to present to some quite important people at work and the night before i found myself thinking about what i needed to do the next day and i thought you know i've got an early start tomorrow and i need to be up at 5 a.m and i've got the train to catch and I've got a taxi and i've got all these big things to do and what if it goes wrong tomorrow and i just had this kind of snowball of uh, really uh quite intense negative thoughts about what would happen the day after and had a very difficult night. Um, I actually had no sleep at all. Um, to the point where I actually unfortunately called in sick the next day. And I felt that I couldn't go through what I needed to go through. And that unfortunately was then, um, imprinted in my mind. So every time I had something like that, that cropped up again in the future, I then felt the same anxiety and I was worried about whether I would sleep or not. And it was almost like the trauma of having a completely sleepless night. It had never happened to me before. And so it really made me stand up and, and get quite concerned, which looking back was obviously um, making things a lot worse for me. Yeah. So, yeah, probably about two years ago. Yeah.
0: So, did, did you find that sleep like got right back on track after, like, once the event that seemed to have triggered that sleep disruption was over, um, whether you went to it or not? Did you find that your sleep then got back on track afterwards, or did it, those sleep issues kind of linger for a bit?
1: They lingered for a little bit, um, you know, for a day or two they did get back on track but what I found is that the longer I had problems with sleep or rather the longer the longer I was not addressing the problems that I was having with sleep the longer the impact would be and the longer it would take me to recover so I would quite often find that one night may actually then develop into a succession of poor nights so maybe a chain of two or three nights uh, initially it did get um, a little bit better but then it got worse again um, over time but it always corrects itself eventually, but um, how quickly it corrects itself is obviously um, dependent on the tools that you have and, and how you how you respond to it. And my toolkit early on was just not, um, not really up to the job.
0: Yeah. So apart from the nights where you got no sleep whatsoever, when those difficult nights were kind of lingering around, what? What what were they like? Was it difficulty like just first falling asleep, or was it more to do with waking during the night and then finding it hard to fall back to sleep,
1: or maybe
0: it was a combination yeah. of
1: both of those things? Yeah, was it? Wasn't, I mean, initially, um, and and I think still predominantly the issues I have are with falling to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. My mind, I'm just ruminating and ruminating, and how that feels and how that kind of trans, how that kind of um, represents itself for me is lots of tossing and turning um flustered throwing the covers around um and i would be acutely aware that i wasn't entering the first stages of sleep and then i would get frustrated and that would lead to more tossing and turning uh clock watching chronic clock watching you know to the point where i had to start removing the clocks from the room because i was obsessing over the time and i'd be like well now it's midnight and that means i've only got five hours sleep and now it's one and i've only got four and so on Um, So that's how it manifested itself. Very, very uncomfortable um, nights that would just just snowball with anxiety. And I would end up by five or six in the morning, just um, so anxious and actually sometimes quite frustrated as well. Mm -hmm. You know, frustrated that I wasn't able to do something that I'd naturally done for the last 30 years of my life without even thinking about. And now all of a sudden it's this big performance and it's an act. And, you know, I was just sort of um, stuck you know, that was probably the best way to describe it. Just uh, frozen with an inability to sleep that was just fueled by anxiety. and It would get worse every time.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people are going to really identify with the effects of insomnia on the nights. You know, obviously there's not much sleep going on, um, but it's also just that whole struggle with the anxiety, you know, and that can manifest itself in like the clock watching and this, you know, this frustration because we feel like we should be able to control this. Why can't I make sleep happen? It's something that I used to be able to do okay. I used to be able to sleep pretty well. Why is this not happening now? And so it all just kind of feeds into itself. So it's it's not really that the only struggle now is being awake at night, which is definitely a big part of it, but it's also everything that comes with that, right? It's all those thoughts and those feelings and those emotions
1: that come with it during the night. Absolutely, yeah. And it's... um I completely underestimated how um, difficult it might be for me. Um, It's really funny because when I was a child, I used to play this game and I'm sure people who are listening may have played the game themselves where uh, you try to stay awake for as long as you can. And the, uh, the identity, the the, the whole goal and the aim of the game is can I stay awake all night? And I always remember failing hopelessly by about maybe one or 2am because the whole objective was stay awake. And then, you know, looking back on that now, when the objective is go to sleep, it kind of has the opposite effect and you don't. Um, And I suppose I was aware of that, you know, subconsciously, but I was so fixated and focused on the idea of a perfect night's sleep, you know, before I needed to be up early that, um, you know, I just, I I really, and and now it's okay to say I was failing miserably in sleeping because I was just um, placing such an emphasis on the ability to fall asleep and uh i was yeah lost completely lost
0: yeah you know i think that what goes on during the nights is probably only about 50 percent of the struggle with with chronic insomnia because we deal with all these struggles during the day as well whether that's just how we feel during the day or all the stuff that our mind wants to tell us during the day you know like oh you can't do this because you had a difficult night or you should, you know, cancel those plans with friends, what's tonight gonna what's tonight gonna bring. So we have insomnia that's not just a nighttime problem, it's a daytime problem as well. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on whether that was true for you too and what kind of effect insomnia was having on your daytime life as as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean it 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 definitely was having an effect on me. I feel like it wasn't having as much of an effect on me as I was trying to lead myself to believe it was. Um, because my frame my my whole reference and frame of thought when I was really, really tired was often making things worse than they actually were physically, I would feel exhausted or would feel drained um I actually um I would actually struggle to concentrate and I would feel like hot and bothered quite often, and I would just want to find a soft, cool, you know nice, quiet place where I could just sit down and and I, of, I often used to commute via rail, so I would have a you know a two-hour journey back home, and um, I would find myself on the train uh, so tired that I was you know falling to sleep. And then obviously the worry then was, what if I don't wake up? What if I actually fall asleep on the train and I miss my stop and I don't get where I need to be? So you know, the, the the effects were quite um, quite negative in the day, uh, but uh, since having done several sleepless nights. Um, and actually done some things quite successfully with little to no sleep, but with a completely different frame of mind, that was what really made me you know, compare and contrast how things used to be. And I think it's mostly psychological about how, if you think you're going to fail the next day, if you tell yourself, if you positively reinforce the fact that you're going to struggle, you tend to struggle. Hmm. If, you were, if you allow yourself to separate the night from the day ahead, and you put the night behind you and you just move forward, there is very little difference in performance. You you know you're tired, you know you feel worn down and slightly exhausted, but if you can frame it in such a way that you can catch up the next night or eventually at some point you will regain the sleep you lost, it makes things much easier. So I found that, yes, it affected me in the day. However, over time I'm doing a better job of separating the previous night from the next day. Whereas before, they were inherently linked. So I was setting myself up for failure from the moment I went to bed until the very next night. Yeah. So
0: looking back on your experience, um, before you found like Insomnia Coach, before you found like the resources that I that I offer and like these podcasts, etc., cetera, um, what kind of things had you done to try and turn this around, you know? Because whenever we're faced with a problem, we want to fix it. What kind of things did you personally tried um, that, you know, looking back on it now, maybe they weren't that helpful. Maybe they could have even been perpetuating the problem.
1: All of the wrong things. I did all the wrong things, um, all around control of sleep. So I tried peppermint oil. I tried a glass of warm milk before bed. I tried waking up at 3.30 or 4.00 AM the day before thinking that I would build up enough sleep drive so I'd fall asleep easier the next night, didn't work. Um, I was listening to certain sound wave frequencies in the belief that they promote relaxation and sleep. I would listen to uh, hypnotherapy, uh, guided talk downs. I would listen to old um, classical music and old time radio because for some reason there's something I felt at the time was comforting about that. So I would listen to that. I would um, eat bananas because I'd read about high potassium content can promote sleep and reduce certain chemicals or promote certain chemicals for sleep. I take a hot bath, a hot shower. I would watch a film, read a whole book cover to cover from, say, five in the afternoon until midnight, in the hope that that would also promote sleepiness. Um, and I would be lying if I said any any of them worked. They may have worked in isolation, although I probably think they were probably just coincidental. Um, none of them had a lasting impact otherwise we wouldn't be having the conversation now so yeah all in vain the efforts were all in vain Uh, but I tried so many things and that was what made it more difficult and I think probably people listening to this will will it will probably resonate with them is that the more you try and the more things you go through the more you then start to think okay this is a real problem now and this is getting out of control and I'm not normal and this isn't right. And this is maybe something's really wrong with me. And, you know, you, you, you limit yourself for options of how you might promote sleep. So you start to kind of, the net sort of closes in on you a little bit. And that obviously makes things 10 times as bad as they ever would have been in that frame of mind. You know, the reason I asked that question about all these things we've
0: tried it's definitely not to kind of like gloat or make us feel bad or to kind of ridicule the things we do. Although on reflection, some of them can be quite amusing when we're at that place where we can look back and think about some of the things we tried, but really it's just to legitimize the fact that when we have a problem, we are understandably going to try and fix it. And this leads us down this path of trying all different like experiments, different rituals. Um, in other areas of life, efforts can be really helpful, you know, Um, but with sleep, it's just that exception to the rule, the more we try, just as you touched upon, you know, you took the words out of my mouth, the more we try, the more difficult it becomes. So I always like to ask this question just because anyone listening can recognize that other people are in the same boat as you, you know, they've been there, they've tried all these different things. So the fact that you're not necessarily finding them helpful too is perhaps understandable um, and normal. It's not a sign that your insomnia is unique or you can't put that insomnia behind you. Because at the end of the day, all these things that we usually try, they don't really get to the root cause of what keeps insomnia alive, which is really you know, our behaviors around sleep and how we allow sleep to influence our behaviors and our relationship with all those difficult thoughts and feelings and emotions that always come along for the ride when we're struggling with anything but especially when we're struggling with chronic insomnia
1: definitely and i think as humans we tend to self-stigmatize and we tend to believe that um we are failing in our ability to do things and somebody else drinks peppermint tea before bed and they swear by it and they fall to sleep whereas i can't do that and you know it, it really can you know it can bring some other unwanted baggage with it in terms of your overall well-being and you know i found that i i i was questioning my ability just to do normal things and um i was questioning my ability to hold back you know automatic thoughts it got to the point where i just doubted my ability to be able to wake up in on a morning and say i will be able to sleep tonight because that in itself was like would trigger a, a series of Competing thoughts and competing feelings about sleep, and you know, I started to develop those really negative thought habits and processes around sleep. And you know, it's it's not just isolated to sleep. I found that I would start to doubt my ability to do other things because I started to treat sleep as a performance. It was as an act. It was the start of a race. I needed to be out of the blocks just at the right time, not too early, not too late. And as soon as I put that kind of pressure on, you know, it was. Yeah, it it definitely does um, affect and impact other areas um, of your your, your well being. Definitely.
0: Yeah, and you know those thoughts and the, those feelings, they can they're not good to experience, right? Nobody likes to experience them. So that that natural human inclinations to try and like suppress them, to try and fight them, to avoid them, maybe distract ourselves, to mm-hmm. think positive. You know, but all, all those attempts to control how we're thinking and how we're feeling ultimately they're kind of doomed to backfire at some point because we just can't control how we feel you know sometimes the brain will generate thoughts and feelings that make us feel good sometimes it'll generate thoughts and feelings that don't make us feel good it's when we get trapped in that struggle trying to control them which is completely understandable because they don't feel good. That we tend to get mo- most trapped. You know, I like to think of it as the the brain dangles this hook. You know, with these difficult thoughts and these feelings, it, it can hook us, kind of jerk yeah. us around, and throw us down this path where we end up doing things that move us away from the kind of life we live, yeah. rather than toward the kind of life we want to live. And
1: such a good so analogy. Then we,
0: yeah. Yeah. Then then we're stuck with we're stuck with the insomnia, we're still stuck with the difficult thoughts and the feelings, but then we're also stuck with moving away from the kind of life you want to live, which just kind of compounds, you know, compounds our struggle. Um, So I'm curious, you know, how were you able to change your relationship with all those those thoughts and those emotions, you know, like the stress, the worry and the anxiety?
1: Well, um, it's a good question. And, you know, I'm still I'm still working out. I'm still perfecting that, but I've definitely um, improved and I've definitely solved most of the problems. But um, I suppose the best way to phrase it is just letting go. Um, Letting go of the anxiety, letting go of the anger and frustration of being unable to sleep, letting go of the fear that would wrap around you for the rest of the day about your inability to perform, you know, letting go of... The fear of what other people might think about you and how you how you live your life and or how you perform or how you do certain tasks the day after. Uh, I really think that that was the most kind of liberating thing. But you know, propping that thought process up for me was, and this was something that I was drawn to so um, strongly in in your emails and and your support was identifying that not falling to sleep for an evening or maybe for a few hours is not the end of the world you can still perform you can still live a normal life you should live a normal life irrespective of what happens in your place of sleep the night before and so i think it was breaking the chain between what happened in bed the night before and what i then did the next day that was really really key to me solving most of the problem and the truth is i still do have bad nights um you know, even fairly recently, just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went to Venice and um, the first night struggled because I couldn't sleep the night before because I was getting a flight early. But rather than worry and panic and say, well, I miss my flight. What if I can't drive to the airport? You know, I was just I was quite relaxed about it. And I actually did yeah. get a couple of hours sleeping, but um, it was, again, just stopping yourself, stopping the cup from overflowing. And just recognising it's filling up, and then separation and let go of the water that's pouring in, and just step back from it, and exercise and control, keep a containment on the thoughts, and allow the allow the process to go on, and know that at the right time and under the right conditions, your body will provide you with the sleep that it that it needs. So it was absolutely breaking that and um, thought process that was key because. Without that, I couldn't then implement some of the other additional techniques that obviously you may talk about shortly, but that was critical for me was just breaking that chain um, and refusing to allow myself to continue um, to make the problem worse and recognise that I was making the problem worse by trying to assume control over a situation I have no control over.
0: So so is that what you meant by letting go? It was just like... Yes. No longer just trying to fight or change yeah. all the stuff that's going on in your mind, just yeah. recognizing I, that it's happening, it's going on, and then just shifting your
1: attention onto what you can control, like your yeah. actions, like going to Venice, for example. Absolutely, yeah. And actually, um, not necessarily inviting um, difficult things, but expecting them sometimes. So I say, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to probably struggle to sleep because I need to be up at 4 a.m. I need to get to the airport for a 7 a.m. flight. I don't normally go to sleep until 11 p.m. I'm probably going to struggle and even if I did fall asleep at 11 I'm still not going to get a full eight hours anyway. So why worry, you know, you will you will find other opportunities the next evening or the evening after to to regain that. So yeah, letting go of of that was absolutely critical just um allowing it to happen and releasing control over things that I'd artificially tried to control for the last two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, looking back on your life in a hundred years from now, you're probably going to be more likely to remember, for example, that trip to Venice than how you slept like the night before or how you slept whilst you were on that trip. Because although you know we can't downplay this, insomnia doesn't make us feel good. You know, it, it, everyone wants to get rid of it, but at the end of the day, it's our actions. Um, that are the primary contributor to the kind of life we live. you know um, we could get we could be the world's greatest sleeper. But if we're not engaged in actions that are kind of aligned with our values, we're not doing stuff that's meaningful to us, that gives us our, our lives a sense of enrichment and joy, then we're not going to live the kind of life we want to live regardless of the insomnia. So if we can kind of turn that on its head and we don't necessarily have to do huge things, We can take baby steps if that feels more appropriate, if we're really struggling. But if we can just ensure that we engage in something each day, you know, that's aligned with our values and it just keeps us moving toward the kind of life we want to live. Instead of allowing all those thoughts and feelings to kind of jerk us around and push us away from the kind of life we want to live, it can be really, really helpful and really help separate us you know, our thought processes and our feelings from our actions, because our actions are really key. That's really what helps us live the kind of life we want to live.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, 100% agree. And I, I found myself um, it, originally engaging in some really quite, you know, difficult, you know, sort of like avoidance behaviour. I would try to, if I, if I thought that I was going to struggle, or I did struggle the night before, and I had an engagement somewhere, I'd say, oh, I'll meet you guys later you know, because I thought that I would then stay at home and catch up on some sleep. And I felt so traumatized from the night before I couldn't sleep anyway. So not only was I missing out on, like you say, meaningful events in my life, whether it was socializing or doing things, but I was also fixated on my issues with sleep. And the truth is, is that when you refuse to engage those thoughts and you just draw a line under the evening and try not to think about it again, You haven't got a point of reference for how you feel physically. So you just go through your day and you do the things you want to do and then you treat the next night as a new. So, and and that was a huge, um, it was like a paradigm shift for me mentally because I could not come out of that place. I could not uncouple those two things. And when you were speaking, then it just reminded me of one evening, I was struggling so bad. um, I just, and it was probably, I think it was a couple of evenings after I found um, I found you and and what you do. I remember watching a video. It was actually one of your earlier podcasts, I think. And that on its own was enough to promote sleep for me, just because I realised that I wasn't alone. This mm. doesn't happen to just me. And that on its own was enough to help me rationalise what was happening. And and the next morning, I thought, why? What was it about the video that made me fall to sleep? Was it the video? Was it the people's voices? And it was just the relief of knowing that this isn't going to kill you, and you are not unique, and you are not alone, that was enough to give me the comfort to kind of calm thoughts down and, and promote sleep quite quickly. So, yeah. you know, that was given, that that on its own was giving me the ability to live a meaningful life, you know, just knowing that I wasn't alone. Whether I slept or not didn't matter, but as long as I knew that I wasn't alone, and hearing mm-hmm. other people's stories, I was like, you know, that's me, and That's what i do and that's how i and and that was kind of like relief almost it was a relief that there's a possible way out of this and it isn't it isn't unique to you
0: yeah and that's why i love doing these podcast episodes and i'm so grateful for guests like yourself coming on because it can be so powerful i mean it's one thing for me to be here just talking about talking about insomnia but it's such a different thing to have guests on, talking about their own experience, talking about the transformation that they made, um, because it gives us hope, it gives us reassurance, and like you said, it helps us realize that our insomnia isn't unique. You know, as individuals, we're definitely unique, and our circumstances around it might be unique, but insomnia itself it's the same animal from person to person you know and the way it affects us is the same and the way it doesn't respond to certain things is the same and that can be so encouraging to hear in people's own words because it helps us realize that if these people had the same kind of problem as me and they were able to put it behind them then there's no reason why i can't do the same
1: there's always that light at the end of the tunnel absolutely yeah and and you know it's um I've actually stopped referring to myself now as having insomnia. Um, I believe that just that on its own is enough to kind of, it's not denial, you know, it's kind of a, an empowerment. I'm empowering myself not to identify as having a problem with sleep. Um, mm-hmm. I have problems with evenings sometimes, you know, sometimes I struggle to fall to sleep. I try not to identify as an insomniac or as having insomnia because I feel that that labels me in such a way where. I then kind of expect things like that to happen more frequently, and the truth is, they will happen. You know, for the rest of my life, probably they will continue to happen. But it's how you respond to it, and and what doesn't it stop you from, or what what does it stop you from doing now? You know, is a lot less now than it than it ever used to. So I'm hopeful that I'll just continue to break that separation and uh, yeah, just keep discovering new techniques, but sticking to the core the core teachings, if you like, of of, of your your uh, program. It was genuinely, at the time, I felt like it was just, it was a total relief, like finding it. It was, nothing had worked. And uh, I know I'm probably saying the same things over and over again, but I keep coming back to that point, just the realization of I found something that, that finally makes sense and that I can finally understand what's going on and what the problem is and the triangle. And I just couldn't understand it before, so... Yeah, it was such a it was such a massive it was it was genuinely life changing at the time I was in such a difficult place. um, And it was genuinely life changing at the time. Um, And I still regularly talk about that period of time where I sort of found you and found what you do and found the techniques. And I often find myself trying to coach others who also have trouble sleeping. Mm. And it's funny when you talk about problems with sleep, you start hearing everybody saying, oh, I have trouble with trouble sleep as well. And oh, I, I, I can't stay asleep. And I, I start talking about these techniques that I couldn't have dreamt of understanding, let alone talking about a few years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is helpful to... To kind of move away from that label that we give ourselves so many different labels, right? And so when we're struggling with insomnia, we just, I have insomnia, I'm an insomniac and. Yeah. I mean, we're not trying to trick ourselves and say, no, the insomnia doesn't exist. It's all in my mind. But we're more than that. You know, there's more to us than how we sleep. There's more to us than what's going on in our minds. Um, They're just part of the whole package of the human experience, you know. Um, But when we're struggling with insomnia, it's really easy to kind of label ourselves with that and have this really difficult like, connotation with it. Like, We can use it as as justification for those away moves you know like i can't go into work now i can't i can't meet up with friends now i can't do this 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 now because of the insomnia so i think removing that label that identity can just be it's almost like a symptom of we're moving on from this now we're just going to expand you know open ourselves up to look around and observe that maybe we're more than just the insomnia yeah the insomnia is there but I'm also a parent I'm also a working professional I'm also a comedian you know we're so much more there's much more to what makes us us than just the insomnia so um, it's funny you said that because a lot of people have mentioned that shifting like kind of just dropping that label has been really helpful
1: absolutely and you know look if anyone listening wants an example of how damaging it can be to hold on to those kind of labels. About 18 months ago, I was offered, what is my dream job? It was international travel, so I would would have had to have flown to America three or four times, five times a year. I would have had to have flown to the Far East, China and Japan and South America. I would have been doing exceptionally interesting work with really, really talented people. I declined the offer of the job because I was worried that having to get up early and go on a plane and travel or go into a hotel would disrupt my sleep. So I actually decided to withdraw from an opportunity that would have been a dream job because I was limiting myself to that label. So like anyone listening who might be thinking about penning themselves in or giving themselves a life which isn't as enriching as it could be because of a label like that, that sometimes it's worthwhile to see how far that can sometimes impact you negatively and you know, I, I regret that massively. You know, looking back, I understand why I, I, I um, rejected the job. Yeah, but it was on flawed grounds completely, and that's just an example, really, of what you can miss out on if you allow yourself to be penned in and labelled yeah. like that. You know, it's not yeah. based on reality at all.
0: That's really powerful to hear you say that and like you touched upon, it's completely understandable why we make those decisions when we're really caught up in that struggle, you know, we're really tangled up in it. And we have this really strong connection between what's, what's going on, like what we're struggling with and how that is going to dictate our behaviors, you know, um, but it doesn't have to. But it often I like how you refer to it as like this paradigm shift because often we have to hear it many times over um, because it's one thing to hear that there's more to us than our thoughts. For example, there's more to us than how we feel um, that our thoughts and our feelings don't always have to dictate our behaviors that we can't control sleep. We can't control what's going on in our mind, but we can always control our actions, things like that. They sound good to hear and they, they can be reassuring or some people might just think this is ridiculous what you're saying. But gradually when you hear it a few different times, maybe in other people's words, another reason why it's great to have guests like you on talking your own words, is it can slowly start to make a little bit of sense and then if we can start taking those baby steps we just start making some moves toward the kind of life we want to live even after difficult nights or even when we're really struggling with our thoughts and our feelings, um, that can really help make that big shift occur and that's what I hear time and time again from clients that have gone through this big transformation. It's that recognition that, look, there are things in my life I can't control. Unfortunately, that means that there's going to be struggle in my life. There's going to be pain in my life but at the same time, I still do have control over my actions. So even in the presence of that pain and that struggle, there are still some things I can do to bring some joy to my life, to bring some enrichment to my life, and just keep me on that path of moving toward the kind of life I want to live, even in the presence of all that difficult stuff.
1: Definitely. And and I think meaning is really important. And, and when I look back on the times i've struggled with sleep it's usually preceding an event that has some meaning in my life mm. and if i look back at all of the nights before the next day where i've obviously been deprived of sleep they have been some of the most meaningful days you know of my life i've got married on days where i've struggled to sleep the night before i've been in far flung places on holiday where i've not slept the night before i've had you know long days out with friends you know On kind of, I've been to weddings, all the things that happen in my life that have real meaning and have brought me real happiness, I've actually done whilst I've been sleep deprived. So in some ways, when I struggle with sleep, I try to treat it as a precursor to something that's going to be good, and try to treat it more of as excitement, and try to change my feeling around the emotion because you know I lie in bed and I've got adrenaline and my stomach's churning, but then the same thing happens when I you know. Before I get on a plane somewhere or or rollercoaster, you know, I'm ex, I'm in an excitable state. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to reframe the thought to think, well, actually, maybe I'm just excited about what's gonna happen tomorrow. Maybe I'm just thinking about all the good things that could happen and I'm getting, you know, swept up. And I'm quite lucky, you know. My my wife, I mean, I'm lucky and unlucky. I'm lucky in the sense that my wife is very supportive and she's always there, you know, to listen to me when I'm you yeah, projecting and I'm worried and I'm saying things that might not help sleep. She's there to kind of check, check and keep, keep the checks and balances there and, and, mm. and check me back. But the, I'm unlucky in the sense that she is the, if they handed out gold medals for sleepers, she would be in the running for one. She's the kind of person that can just get into bed and then immediately is in some form of deep sleep. And I just, sometimes I watch her get into bed and I actually watch what happens and watch her lie down and then she's gone. And I just look at that on with such envy and that consumes that. And I've heard this on your podcast before that sometimes yeah. makes it even worse because <laughs> you're like, why can't I do that? How, how did you do that? I feel like waking her up and saying, what did you just do And How did you do that? You know? Yeah. And, and, um, it, sometimes it makes it worse, but you know, you can't pick and choose your partners on their ability to sleep. You pick and choose your partners because of who you love. And you know, fortunately for me, my wife, when she's awake, <laughs> is really understanding um, and she helps me get through it quite a lot. And she helps me kind of reframe some of the thoughts and some of the feelings I have around it. And mm-hmm. I used to wake her up in the night when I couldn't sleep. And I looking back, it was quite a selfish behavior. But I used to wake her up because I was in distress and I'd wake her up and say, I can't sleep. I'm having real trouble but it took me a while to recognize and even fairly recently recognize that that behavior doesn't lead me to sleep. It's Mm -hmm. just like me trying to give someone else my problem in the hope that it fixes the problem. And of course it doesn't. So that's when I learned about getting out of bed and going downstairs and, you know, putting the light on dim, dim light and reading. And I I weaned myself off my reliance on my partner to kind of hold the burden, if that makes sense. So I've uh, kind of, Standing alone with it now, if you like. Yeah, so like you said, it can be like a blessing
0: and a curse, right? When when uh, it seems to be that everyone I speak to. With chronic insomnia has like the best sleeping bed partners in the world you know, and it can lead to like that resentment but also it can be that opportunity to just be to that person all right when you go to bed when you lie down what do you think about what do you do to make sleep yeah. happen and you're probably gonna just get like this kind of blank stare this blank look um i don't know because yeah. that's how sleep happens we do nothing and it's when we try doing
1: something for sleep to happen that we get caught up in that struggle Absolutely. Yeah. And the two, um, obviously in your, te- in your, your emails and, and the teachings and, uh, and the theory, you know, it's, I fail to believe or understand the two mechanisms for, you know, you talk about, you need enough sleep drive and you need a, a, dis- a lack of arousal. And if those two elements balance, you will have the right environment or the right um, conditions for sleep. And in my mind, I was just, never cracking the lack of arousal state. I was definitely building up sleep drive because I was, you know, having three or four nights in a row where I might have only had two or three hours or one hour or nothing the night before. Plenty of sleep drive, but such was the power of the state of the arousal. And I was in such a heightened state of arousal and negative, you know, frame of mind. That was enough to tip the scales in favor of arousal. But it was understanding that, and I didn't know that was happening at the time. I probably knew subconsciously something like that was going on, but it wasn't until someone had spelled it out for me and put it in black and white, and I understood yeah. it for what it was. That was one of the, I think that was the paradigm shift. It was it was understanding that, understanding that those are the two conditions you need, and then feeling incredibly stupid about all the gimmicks that I look back on now that I tried to try to, um to, to control that and and like you say quite often great sleepers they don't know how to answer the question because when I ask my wife she says I lie down and I close my eyes and then it's the morning it's yeah. the day after then you know it's like yeah but what did you do it's like I, I did this mm-hmm. you know and it's um of course that, that could because they have no arousal no no preconceptions or feelings or thoughts or expectations about sleep They just have this well ingrained habit where they lie down, they close their eyes, they go to sleep. Um, And it's not as easy for everyone to to achieve that. But yeah, it's um, understanding that was massively key to improving um, my thoughts and about how I approach sleep. I talked about my wedding to you a couple of times. That was key for me. I actually did sleep for about four or five hours a night before I got married. And of all the things I've done in my life, getting married was, way up there on the nervousness scale yeah but actually I got more sleep on that night before than I had on other nights where comparatively the next day was very low stakes and the difference between the two was just I was more prepared to let go the night before I got married than I was on other days and that's the common denominator is my ability to let go of those thoughts and just say what will be will be I think you actually told me the night before very few people will sleep I think, I think you may have said that I don't whether you said you didn't sleep very well the night before, yeah. whether I just imagine that yeah
0: Yeah no, I didn't sleep very well the night before my wedding I think um, a lot of people would, would experience the same thing you know and the, the, the great the thing is is like for people that never normal that have never like gone through the struggle with sleep, they just kind of recognize all right, it's a difficult night. But they would never kind of contemplate all right now i can't get married or the 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 wedding's just going to be a disaster you know they'll just be like "Oh, it's just one of those nights and they'll just kind of still go on with their plans but when we've when we've really been caught up in this struggle with insomnia really it changes things right because now we're like am i still going to be able to do this am i still going to be able to do whatever i've got planned for the day am i still going to be able to live the kind of life i want to live and i think that's where the real the real fear, the real arousal, the real struggle comes from because we see insomnia or we see nighttime wakefulness as this obstacle to us living the kind of life we want to live. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be.
1: Definitely. And it's like you say, it's what you do in that time where you are awake that makes the difference. It's when I started, it was tossing and turning, throwing the blankets around. I would sit up in bed and I actually have this very vivid memory of being sat up in my bed, you know, with my head in my hands, just in despair, going, it's like 5am, I've been lying in bed since 10pm, what on earth is going on with me? Like, what is happening? And and I would, you know, just pace up and down the room and then get back into so all of the things that make sleep less likely I was doing um, versus yeah. now, where if I know I start to feel uncomfortable, I just get out of bed and... I go downstairs and read a book for for twenty minutes, half an hour, and I'll try again. And quite often, that cycle will happen two or three times. Sometimes I will, I won't make it. I'll get downstairs and I'll read a book or pop pop the television on, and I won't make it back upstairs because I would have actually fallen asleep on the sofa. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've done the job, although that's not the design. Sometimes that happens, and you know, sometimes you think, well, at least I got the sleep I needed. But yeah, it's how you spend that time awake now, and. I'm I'm not saying that I find it incredibly comfortable when I'm awake and that I can um think clearly because still now it frustrates me and I can get anxious about it. Yeah, but I now no longer allow it to say okay, this is now a deal breaker on the day after, because that's yeah. just now off the table. It's if I even if I don't sleep, it's no longer on the table skipping them the next yeah. day. And when you sort of commit to that, it's life is a lot easier in general. Sleep then becomes easier because you know, sleep now doesn't have an impact on what you do the next day. It's almost like reverse psychology. It's like, well, you can sleep if you want, it makes no difference because you're still doing this. So you can either do it with eight hours sleep or do it with none, it doesn't matter, your choice. Yeah, and
0: yeah, I think the, like the arousal side of the equation, that heightened arousal that can temporarily suppress sleep is is important, I think it's important to emphasize that we're not saying as soon as there's some arousal, like sleep's just never gonna happen. Often what can happen is it's how battle with those everything that's going on in our mind you know so I always like to say it's not necessarily like for example anxiety it's not necessarily just because we've we're experiencing anxious thoughts that means that we're doomed to a night of wakefulness it's often our battle with that anxiety you know we're trying to fight it we're trying to push it away we're trying to think about something else, that requires so much mental effort that sleep becomes almost impossible once we become engaged in that battle. Um, and I think that that also contributes to so many of the symptoms we associate with all the time we're spending awake, you know, like the fatigue, the brain fog, um, lack of alertness, lack of concentration. I think a lot of it is influenced by that battle we're engaged in rather than it being exclusively a symptom of long, long periods of time of wakefulness.
1: Yeah, 100%, yeah. And it's kind of similar to how you, you sort of framed it earlier and the analogy you used, it's like I picture my sleep as like um, Niagara Falls, you know, that's how I was looking at it. And I would see something interesting in the falls and I would, I would want to grab hold of something. That would be a thought like, you're not going to sleep tonight or I think you might have problems tonight. And I would almost compulsively grab hold of that. And once you're in the rapid, you're gone. It's very hard to swim back against the current to get out. And eventually you fall over the edge. And that yeah. was how it was, how it was with me um, until eventually I could then stand on the shore and just look at the rapid instead and know it was there. And I yeah. make the choice. Do I go in and grab the fish or not? And yeah. every night I, you know, have that, I have that discussion almost with myself. I have to remind myself not to, not to put my hand in the rapids. Sometimes I do. I'm only human. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I will, succumb to that because I don't know what your experiences is with other people but sometimes I would find those thoughts to be quite invasive you know I would Mm -hmm. for no reason whatsoever the night before um, you know I'm just getting into bed with nothing happening the next day at all I would decide to tell myself for some strange reason that I might struggle I don't know why I might struggle tonight and that was enough to then set the chain reaction off Mm -hmm. it's incredible how um, impactful that kind of thinking can be so it's just about learning how to counteract that thought and separate that thought. And yeah. like you say, come away from it and engage in something else and you can't control how you think about something, but you can control how you respond to that thought. I think that's the key. I, I love that analogy that that you shared, you know, was it, did you say that
0: you imagine you just kind of visualized those thoughts as fish? Was it in, in the river yes. that were kind of like Sleep. swimming by? Yeah. yeah. Sleep I, I, I love like that. Fish
1: in Niagara. Yeah, I use my rules because it, rapidly and then it, you fall off the edge and if you stay in there too long eventually you get to the point where you can't swim back and then when you fall off it's like that's the night done then so my yeah. thought was can I get out of the rapids before I fall over the edge but yeah the fish were like I'm not going to sleep or the fish were you're going to struggle tomorrow or the fish yeah. were oh you're not going to be able to do that that was how I saw it yeah
0: yeah exactly and you've got all those different thoughts all those different fish in the water that are all swimming by some might Swim right in front of you for a really long time. Some might just go whizzing right past. Some might disappear and then come back around again. Um, if we can just get to that point though, where we're just observing that happen rather than falling over the edge, as you said, you know, just getting caught up in the rapids, just trying to grab all these fish and throw them out of the river. Um, it just becomes a a lot easier, doesn't it? It's just like we just, we're abandoning that struggle. Just we're using that phrase of letting go, like that you've been saying.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and in my experience of having insomnia now or having trouble with sleep, rather for the last probably three or four years, if I'm honest with myself, the real exhausting thing about insomnia isn't the lack of sleep; it's the battle and the thoughts that you have to deal with, and it's the the, the journey you take yourself on, and the the hard time that you give yourself as well. In in many senses. That's what's really tiring. It's not the lack of sleep because you can prove your you can you can prove to yourself you can be incredibly effective without sleep. It's just the um thoughts that come along with it which are really exhausting. And and the, the worry I remember I don't know if you recall, but my real worry was about health. I was thinking, Will I have a heart attack if I don't sleep for three days? You know, am I gonna get you you read all sorts of things online about your chance of developing diabetes and hypertension and all these awful medical conditions which of course makes it even worse yeah. um and, and the truth is that um you know i'm sure that there's there's, there's no real link to, to lots of these things but of course if you just keep reading that it makes it worse anyway so my worry was about what it was doing to my health so this that's the paradox isn't it is that you know you need to sleep to look after your health but you can't and when you're sleepless you start googling how bad is it if i don't sleep and of course they say oh it's quite bad and you're like that's even worse and of course it just then spirals
0: yeah absolutely and you know the interesting thing is that we've there's no clinical studies that have found insomnia causes any health condition whatsoever and one of the biggest studies that has been done that looked at the role of chronic insomnia on mortality i think it involved like 37 million people from all different studies and they found that there was no link there was no link to between people that had chronic insomnia and an increased risk of mortality it was it was the same across the board but yet we see all these studies and these um newspaper articles that find like associations you know and it comes down to that example of you know if if someone has an ashtray in their house, maybe they're more likely to develop cancer. But is that because they got an ashtray in their house? Or is it because they smoke? Or is there something else that's causing that? You know, there's this is cause and effect. And associations never show causality. So we find all these associations and then because, you know, headlines need to attract attention, the ones that don't really sound exciting, like chronic insomnia does not increase your risk of mortality, they tend to not get much attention. But one of sell that, newspapers with those kind of headlines, yeah, <laughs> and one that finds that can that can be kind of used in a way that comes up with a great headline or that might attract more research funding. They're the ones that get all the attention, and it, it is a shame because, like you said, when we're struggling with chronic insomnia, we're doing more research about sleep. We're going to be coming across all these articles that are saying scary stuff. Um, and that just puts more pressure on ourselves to sleep. It Increases our arousal. We're dealing with more struggle then, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, we get tangled up in that struggle even more. It's like more pieces of rope around us sure. that we we get tangled up in.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And it just and it fuels the obsession with sleep. That's yeah. what I found. I became so obsessed about the science of sleep. You know that I and, and again, it was all just to try to have some kind of control. Um, The more you look into these studies and the more that you read, um, like you say, the the more rope you surround yourself with, the more um, difficult it is to let go. And yeah, it became a real obsession. Sleep for me became, you know, I could have studied a PhD in sleep. That's what it felt like for the month that I had my first major um, sort of episode. I was doing everything I could to wrestle control and more information that came in. The further i was away from realizing what i what it was i needed to do it was actually an absence of information that i needed it was again mm. things that would take my arousal away um, but unfortunately when you're when you're in the midst of it you know and and you don't you haven't got this benefit position of hindsight here that's just what you do and i'm sure you hear it all the time and again anyone that's listening who's looking watching this or listening to this and is in that place right now you know know that too much information and too much fixation and focus around the mechanics of sleep does not help you sleep. It never helps me sleep ever. In fact, it actively stopped me from sleeping. no good becoming an expert in sleep if you can't get to sleep.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I think it becomes even more problematic when we're using that time that we could be engaged in actions that are more important to us in terms of living, of, a life aligned with our values and doing things that we personally enjoy and find enriching often we can substitute all that stuff with that ongoing research and you know research itself i mean some research is probably helpful but when it becomes that obsession and it kind of consumes our life that's when it can become really counterproductive and we talked a lot about all these different behaviors you know that we we implement some helpful some less helpful um, and I think just to summarize the stuff that you've said has been helpful for you was you know that letting go just abandoning that struggle with thoughts feelings nighttime wakefulness and sleep itself engaging in actions that are meaningful for you um independently of sleep and even in the presence of all those fish uh, running down yeah. the river um and then you you touch upon you know just doing things to help create good conditions for sleep, better conditions for sleep as well. For example, like not trying to chase sleep by going to bed before you're actually feeling sleepy. Um, And if you're really tossing and turning during the night, really struggling, it's not fit, that wakefulness is feeling really unpleasant. Just doing something that can help make that wakefulness more pleasant, whether that's reading a book or watching TV, really doesn't matter. Um, those things we do at night can be so helpful too because they also train the brain that wakefulness, although you know we don't really want to experience it, it's not actually like a physical danger or a threat to us. It's not the same thing as a 400-pound grizzly bear waiting for us in our bed at night. Um, it's not going to physically harm us so if we can just kind of embrace that wakefulness a bit more make it more pleasant not only does that make the nights a little bit better because we're awake anyway let's make them a bit more pleasant but they also train the brain to realize that this wakefulness isn't a danger or a threat it's not something it has to stay alert for to try and kind of protect us from and that alertness in turn makes sleep more difficult were there any other kind of I just wanted to summarise because we I know we covered a lot of stuff. Was there any yeah. anything else that you had to add to that that I maybe missed out on or anything you wanted to clarify?
1: No, I, I think um, you've you've done a good job of summarising that much better job than I have. But then again, you've just been listening to me waffle on for the exactly. last... exactly. I had the hour. easy part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I, I think um, you you've 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 covered that quite well, and I think every. I suppose the only thing I would add is every time I have issues with sleep, every every night I have, you know, every time I have a problematic night, I strengthen that relationship, uh, the healthier relationship of, of the understanding of what the problem is. So I try to reframe that. If every night I struggle, I get closer to um, less struggles in the future because I understand what's happening and Uh, It was learning to show some sort of compassion for yourself as well. You know, I talked before about self-stigma. I found myself incredibly frustrated at myself, you know, and the kind of language I would use with myself, like mentally, I would, oh, I I hate how you can't sleep. You know, that's the kind of feeling and thoughts you would have. And it's not only unhelpful for sleep, it's also very damaging to your self-esteem and self-confidence as well. So it's showing yourself some. Some love and compassion and understanding about when you are in those wakeful states. You know, I just try to tell myself, Oh, you're having trouble again, you know, but don't worry. You know, you've been there before. Everything's going to be okay. It's fine. Just go and do something and and come back. And you know what? If you don't fall back to sleep, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) You know, just carry on. And it's showing yourself that compassion. And I talked before about information stream and looking too much. Information is good when the source of it is controlled and the stream of it is controlled. That's why I found your emails so massively helpful because the right information was coming to me on the right cadence and it was the right intensity. And I wasn't trying to control the information. It was nuggets of information coming through that were really easy to understand on a cyclical nature that then it was almost like rhythmic. And maybe that's by design, it's like, it's like circadian almost you wake up in the morning and you're like oh here's some information that you should know about sleep and that was my ritual i would wake up in the morning and it'd be like week one week two and it was almost becoming part of my you know my, my routine but information is good when you get it from the right sources and it's controlled in the right kind of cadence
0: yeah that's great and i love that you talked about you know being kind to yourself because that is really important because when we it is difficult, you know, to go through this. We It is important to be kind to ourselves. Often we're really kind to other people when they're going through a struggle, but we don't kind of turn that inward on ourselves when we're going through struggle and pain. And that is important to recognize too. You know, we don't want to sugarcoat right. it. What we're going through is hard. We need yeah. to acknowledge that and be kind to ourselves. And I love how you talked about, you know, when I have these difficult nights now, they're kind of opportunities. And they're opportunities to kind of, recognize, oh, there's no mystery here. I know exactly why this is happening, you know, and there are opportunities to implement things that just help train your brain that, yeah, this wakefulness is not a danger, it's not a threat. There are things I can do to make this wakefulness more pleasant. And then the next day, you know, when I'm awake, I can still do these things that help me live that kind of life. I got that opportunity to once again prove to myself that, because I spent time awake at night, it doesn't have to move me away from the kind of life I That's want right. to live. Um, so we don't have to be. F- it's okay to feel these things, but we don't have to like be be hard on ourselves when we have these difficult nights. They are. They can be seen too as opportunities to reinforce what we're learning and to practice. Um, things that can help us over the longer term too, you know, training the brain
1: that wakefulness isn't a threat or a danger. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think some really great advice I was once given is treat yourself like you are someone who you are responsible for looking after. And that was really helpful for me to think that you externalize and think you would help someone else in the same way. So treat yourself like you are someone else who are you, who, who you are responsible for looking after. That was really helpful for me because it made me think of myself as somebody else so I was less interested in stigmatizing myself and more interested in nurturing myself and caring for myself and and that made a huge difference yeah it actually probably did make me sleep better as well and um, but but if it didn't I was kinder to myself and it would promote the chances of sleep at the next opportunity whether it was the next night or the night after so yeah
0: well, that's great. Well, Adam, I really appreciate all the time you've taken out of your day to come on. Um, I mean, we've covered so much great stuff. Um, I'm sure that everyone listening to this is going to get some kind of value for, from it. But there's always this one question that I ask everyone. So I don't want you to feel left out. Um, so I'm going to ask this question for you if you're OK, uh, if you feel comfortable just hanging on for a couple more minutes to answer it. Um, it's this If someone with chronic insomnia is listening you know, and they feel as though they've tried everything, that they're just beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them?
1: I would tell them that they are closer to a good night's sleep than they could ever imagine. And that the things that are separating them from a good night's sleep are actually easily removed. And they're not things that require monumental or titanic efforts or lots of money or lots of fads and gimmicks and uh, supplements. It's straightforward, healthy thinking and reframing your relationship with how you spend your time in your bed. (laughs) It's as simple as that.
0: All right, great. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. So thanks again for coming on, Adam. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia, and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course, or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviours that might be making sleep more difficult, and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients, or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one on one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enrol. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the phone coaching package, we start with a one-hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two-week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reid, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important
1: reminder. You can sleep.